Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When Diplomacy Fails presents... Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome to Hello When Diplomacy Hello and welcome fails. to When Diplomacy Fails. A project five years in the making. The Franco-Prussian War. The Seven Years War. Of the When Diplomacy Fails special on Napoleon. The Crimean War. To When Diplomacy Fails special on World War I. The Dutch Revolt. To the When Diplomacy Fails special on the Thirty Years' War. The July Crisis Anniversary Project. The Swedish Deluge. Britain goes to war. The 1916. To the Franco-Dutch War of 1672. This is When Diplomacy Fails. Remastered. This is the first part of When Diplomacy Fails Remastered Look at the Mexican-American War, which originally aired as one episode on the 15th of August, 2012. Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails Remastered Episode 11, The Mexican-American War Part 1. Here we link the middle historical period with the old of the American Revolution, and the new of the Spanish-American War. Yes, it would have made more sense to release these American episodes in order, but such is podcasting life. The more tentative among you will note that one more war of significance remains for us to examine in the American timeline, and I don't think it'd be too much of a spoiler to say that that's on the way. Anyone familiar with the back catalogue will, of course, know that I'm talking about the War of 1812. But in this case, we're looking at the Mexican-American War. What happens there? Well, it's the story of two young American nations fighting each other for supremacy and profoundly changing the landscape of the continent in the process. To the victor went the spoils, but also the inherent challenge of absorbing these new lands with their new ways and customs without tearing the old country apart, while the loser saw its stock plummet and revolution creep up over the following years. 
Sound interesting? Fantastic. You've come to the right place. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of When Diplomacy Fails Remastered and taking part in Five Weeks to Run Wild. I hope you're enjoying it so far. I hope you're not getting overwhelmed with all the audio, but this is just a teeny tiny reminder to go to wdfpodcast.com to find out the different ways you could support this podcast, whether it's supporting us on Patreon, buying a t-shirt, buying a book, all the usual stuff. Everything helps out, guys, and it helps me keep on doing this and bring the likes of these kinds of projects to you, insane as they seem. I really enjoy doing this. I love podcasting, and as you all know, I'm very fond of my listeners. This whole thing, When Diplomacy Fails Remastered, is basically a big gift to you all for sticking with me for five years. I wouldn't have you any other way. But if you feel like you could throw a few tiny bucks at me in return for some pretty sweet deals in return, then please, wdfpodcast.com or search for When Diplomacy Fails in Patreon. Thanks very much for listening, guys. I will now take you to the year 1821. I have always done my duty. I am ready to die. My only regret is for the friends I leave behind me. Zachary Taylor Mexico was a young nation. As a colony of Spain, its existence dated back to the 16th century, but as an independent state, it was only born onto the world stage in 1821. The Peninsular Wars saw Spain fight bitterly against Napoleonic France, and though Spain was never totally overcome, its ability to maintain its overseas empire was fundamentally crippled. Over the course of the 1810s and a few dizzying years, Spain lost hold of its colonies astonishingly quickly, as former Spanish citizens adopted the policy of those in the northern part of the continent and vied for their independence. It was not just Mexico, or indeed just Spanish territories in South and Central America, that rebelled or sought autonomy either, Portugal would lose Brazil just as painfully as Spain lost the rest of its South America. The newfound independence of the South and Central American states meant that the entire American continent became a separate entity to that of Europe. Thus, Napoleon's campaigns were significant not merely for the revolutions they engendered in Europe and the wider world, but in the Americas as well, where centuries of culture and shared history suggested a future of cooperation and togetherness though this had suddenly been replaced by new states, all vying for their own place in the sun. In the past, Europeans tended to regard Britain's loss of the 13 colonies as an embarrassment, but the idea that the old world would now have to contend with, and perhaps compete with, the new, became more apparent as the individual policies of those new world states gained international attention. Britain pushed for beneficial trade deals with the newborn Latin states and used its considerable weight to protect them from interference. This economic interest, coupled with the issuing of the Monroe Doctrine in 1823, shielded the new states across the Atlantic from European aggression, even while Europe's slighted empires found it difficult to move on from their past. The states that the old Spanish and Portuguese influences left behind were not universally positive. Legacies of corruption, of racial tension, and rampant poverty in places had been entrenched by an even more vicious culture of slavery and class conflict. Where former indigenous peoples intermingled or sought to separate themselves from the European descendants, there was a further cause for conflict. 
In addition to this, as the 19th century progressed, the hunt for valuable resources progressed with it, and in their efforts to track down coal or replace their old slave economies, vast environments would be changed and pollution engendered. In light of this, it shouldn't come as much surprise to learn that Mexico wasn't really able to recreate itself or find a new identity for its citizens, as the 13 colonies had done when they became the United States of America. Mexico was a state racked with conflict, both internally and on its borders. It claimed a large expanse of territory, stretching into modern-day California, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, and, of course, Texas. But it never enjoyed the kind of unity like that of the United States. Despite the popularity of the war with Spain in the beginning of the century, many Mexicans themselves had no real experience in governing a country. Spain had always governed directly with little or no delegation to Mexican locals, and as a result of this, not only did these locals clamor for a say, leading to the revolution, but they also found that once the Spanish officials left, they were in the dark as to the best way to rule a state, as large, internally divided, and externally threatened as their own. And then there was Texas. Texas was something of a dark horse for Americans and Mexicans alike, if you can imagine Texas as part of what Mexico called Coahuila y Texas, it encompassed a vast swathe of what we would recognize as the modern-day southern United States. It was a frontier state of Mexico, and because of this, was vulnerable to attacks and raids by Native American tribes. The raids got so bad for the Mexican authorities that soldiers were moved up to meet the problem. But these tribes were experienced, and they launched attacks only in the most sparsely populated areas where the presence of Mexican citizens and soldiers was minimal. The Mexican government, in response to this, called for Anglo-American settlers to move into the border areas and populate them. This, in turn, was encouraged by the American government, who cooperated with Mexico to provide land grants to willing American families. One of these families, that of Moses Austin, had been granted land as early as 1820, but he died before he could make use of it. His son, on the other hand, Stephen Austin, inherited the vast expanse of land and decided to make proper use of it. He encouraged 300 American families to join him in his quest to Texas, and the repopulation of the area began. It didn't take long for things to change for Texas and its neighbouring border states of New Mexico and Alto California, which collectively spread all the way across the border of Mexico, from the Gulf of Mexico in the east to the Pacific in the west. The settlers were meant to move into the areas which were most directly threatened by the raids, but instead the focus of the migration was Texas. As a result of this, within a few years, the demographic makeup of Texas itself changed. Although it remained officially part of Mexico, its newfound growth in population was due to American settlers, and these men and women began to exhibit dangerous ideas of autonomy for Texas. This was a change not lost on either American or Mexican governments, as Liz Sunburn in her book, The Mexican-American War, a primary source history of the expansion of the western lands of the United States, writes, As more and more Americans arrived, the Mexican government began to worry that its planet backfired. Instead of protecting them from invasion, American integration was becoming an invasion, though one sanctioned by American law. To stem the tide of new Texans, Mexicans closed the border to America in 1830. But this merely slowed the rate of immigration. It didn't actually stop it. 
The Mexican Constitution of 1824 had established numerous laws which those immigrants would have to abide by, such as converting to Catholicism and accepting Mexican authority, as well as some other laws on slavery, but the American settlers didn't do that either. They instead chose to take America with them, and they never viewed themselves as anything other than American citizens. This, of course, created a situation that would pull both American and Mexican interest in. Mexico couldn't sit back and allow its authority to be diluted in its border areas. That would be horrendously dangerous. But the American government also felt obliged to protect its citizens in Texas from Mexican interference. Two things are important to cover before we take this story any further, though. The first was the aforementioned 1824 Constitution, which was signed by the representatives of the various Mexican states, including that of Coahuila, Texas. It declared a federal republic and laid claim to the modern-day southern United States, so as to make it clear to the US at that time that Mexico had no intentions of selling its land in New Mexico, California, or Texas to the eager American government, as, say, Napoleon had done with the Louisiana Purchase. The second issue concerns a term we've encountered in the past, but which I feel would be valuable to recap on here, Manifest Destiny. Manifest Destiny referred to the American belief that the US must expand westwards so as to link up with the Pacific Ocean. Of course, this would likely bring it into conflict with Mexico, especially if it expanded into California, but such possibilities didn't actively worry American statesmen. It was the responsibility of the United States to bring civilization to the Native American tribes in the West and build upon the already expanded American state. The United States possessed 27 states in total before its annexation of Texas in 1845, but the series of events that would lead to a war with Mexico were in many ways precipitated by the widely held belief in America that if Washington did not go west, someone else would go before them. You'll remember in the remastered episode of the Spanish-American War, number 4, in fact, that we examined this paranoia. It could be called paranoia, certainly, that Britain or some other European power would just land in the west and lay claim to valuable land that straddled the Pacific. Russia, we should already remind ourselves, had a presence in Alaska and had expanded across the Bering Straits, so it wasn't as if American fears were totally unfounded. When American statesmen applied Manifest Destiny to foreign policy in the 1840s, they accepted that war was inevitable to realise its tenets. Without the conflict that would sweep Mexico out of the important southern Texan and western Californian lands, the US could never fulfil its Manifest Destiny, and it would be blocked forever from reaching the Pacific and establishing the transcontinental republic that many Americans dreamed of. Mexico was of course aware of American plans just as much as it was aware of its own deficiencies. Though the initial picture for Mexico looked promising once independence had been achieved, based purely on the sheer size of the country alone, the state was soon overcome with its own internal problems while America was overtaking its southern neighbour in almost every theatre. Texas continued to see American and Mexican interest over it grow as more and more American settlers poured into it. America was not just wary of the benefits in incorporating Texas, though. The other larger Mexican states which bordered Texas were not necessarily free from American intrigue either. Wiley Thompson Jr., the American minister in Mexico, suggested as late as 1842 that it was California, not Texas, that Americans truly cared for. 
California could possibly be sold by Mexico to the United States in exchange for the American commitment not to poke its nose in Texas anymore, Thompson had said. As to Texas, I regarded it as of very little value compared with California, the richest, the most beautiful, and the healthiest country in the world. With the acquisition of Upper California, we should have the same ascendancy in the Pacific. France and England both have their eyes upon it. But this was a largely impractical promise, undoubtedly so as late as 1842, since, as we shall see, the Mexican hold on Texas was by then virtually non-existent, thanks to the large and ever-increasing numbers of American settlers there. But California was a prize that appealed to other nations, not just Washington. Britain was on the Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns seen and had been since the early 1820s in support of a healthy trading relationship with Mexico which Britain had hoped to cultivate. The British minister in Mexico, Richard Pakenham, wrote in 1841 to Lord Palmerston, the Prime Minister, urging him to establish an English population in the magnificent territory of Upper California. Saying that, no part of the world offers greater natural advantages for the establishment of an English colony than California, and once it ceases to belong to Mexico, it should not fall into the hands of any power but England. Daring and adventurous spectators in the United States have already turned their thoughts in this direction. Thus we see that the fears of American policymakers with regard to some foreigner landing at California were not unfounded. Manifest destiny, if one talked to the British for long enough, could seem very much under threat. The factor which protected California from British intrigue was the fact that the region was not the same exploitable, volatile and complicated area that existed in Texas. For the moment, at least, Mexico seemed relatively in control of the region, in other words. Furthermore, by 1830, while both America and Mexico looked on, it was in Texas itself that events soon spiralled out of control, pulling American state focus out of California for the moment. 
The Texas Revolution was the result of a number of factors, chief among them Mexico City's 1835 affirmation of a more centralized form of government, which pulled some of the powers away from the local Texas Assembly and handed them instead to the Mexican authorities far away in the country's capital, ending in the process the much-loved Federal Republic. This was viewed as an unbearable act not just in Texas but all across Mexico, and the Mexican government was soon inundated with calls for help in the corners of their lands, as separatist movements sprang up in the south, east, west and north of vast Mexico territories. There were long-running cultural and spiritual clashes with the Mexican authorities, since, remember, the majority of American settlers were living in a land which often enforced the status of Catholicism as its official and sole religion. Slavery was an issue too, though, as I mentioned earlier on, since it had actually been outlawed in the 1824 Constitution, but never enforced in Texas until now, 1835, when the thoughts of submitting not just their political and religious freedoms, but also their slaves, shock horror, almost guaranteed a conflict, would emerge. It didn't take very long. While the Mexicans dealt with riots, separatist movements, and rebellions breaking out all across the United States of Mexico, Texas joined in with the fun, at first staging small-scale demonstrations, but soon forming committees of correspondence and safety throughout Texas in response to the reactions of an endangered Mexican regime. And you know you have a problem when committees start springing up everywhere. The Mexican president at this time, Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, urged his brother-in-law, Martín Perfecto de Coz, to repress with a strong arm all those who, forgetting their duties to the nation which has adopted them as her children, are pushing forward with a desire to live at their own option without subjection to the laws of this nation. The Mexican authorities ordered the Texan militias to hand over the cannon given to them by the state, and when this order was refused, an army was sent to dissolve the militia and stabilise Texas, but it was far too late for that at this stage. And on the 2nd of October, 1835, the Battle of Gonzales, the first military engagement of the Texas Revolution, occurred, signalling the start of a new period in Texan history and the effective end of Mexican control over its former state. The war itself ended successfully for the Texans, and it bore witness to such famous scenes as the Alamo while creating the foundations for the short-lived Republic of Texas, which was declared a state independent of both Mexico and America, with the signing of the Treaty of Velasco on the 14th of May, 1836. It initially seemed as though the future of Texas lay in it being a sovereign state, and indeed it achieved recognition from Britain, France and the Dutch, but it was a short-lived period of autonomy, and a troubled one at that. Although President-slash-dictator Santa Anna had signed the Treaty of Velasco, he had done so while as a prisoner of the Texan army, following the victory of Texas at the Battle of the San Jacinto River. Because of this, and even though he had thereafter travelled to Washington to confirm the status of Texas, Santa Ana was deposed in absentia soon after word of him signing the treaty filtered back to Mexico City. The treaty was declared void, while Texas was claimed still as part of Mexico, though only by the Mexicans themselves, since, as far as the Texans were concerned, they were now an independent state. The first president of the Republic of Texas was David G. Burnett, though it was the famous General Sam Houston who would serve two terms in office and thus the longest time as president of Texas 
overall. If these names sound familiar, then they should. Sam Houston gives his name to Houston, Texas, while that Stephen Austin I mentioned earlier that brought in all the families gives his name to Austin, Texas, as well as tons of schools, colleges and towns that popped up once Texas gained its autonomy. Because of the nature of the peace treaty, though, the subsequent dictators who took over from Santa Ana never recognised Texas's independence, with the predictable result that many more invasions of Texas took place. The last of these was the Battle of Salado Creek in September 1842, when Mexican forces were driven out after capturing San Antonio the week before. This signalled the effective end of Mexican attempts to seize Texas and its surrounding lands, though Texas did remain an issue central to Mexican foreign policy as the focus moved towards America and what the United States planned on doing with Texas. Mexican authorities had every right to be concerned that Texas and its lands would fall under the jurisdiction of America. You see, although it was a separate republic, the majority of Texans came from America, and they viewed incorporation into the United States as both desirable and only a matter of time. This annexation would also fit conveniently into the United States policy of manifest destiny. As Texas was viewed as a stepping stone towards California and perhaps New Mexico in the West. Tensions were building in both camps, though it'd be wrong to view Texas as the innocent bystander or hot potato that Mexico and America passed around, since the Texans were perfectly capable of making their own decisions and guiding their own policies. Texas President Anson Jones, elected in 1844, sometimes called the Architect of Annexation, and United States President James Polk, were elected based on their policies with regard to the Texan question. Polk promised to incorporate Texas into the US, while Jones promised to facilitate such moves, and so both became key figures in the final days of Texan autonomy. Even while Mexico existed in a state of complete turmoil that saw four changes in the presidency, six in the ministry and 15 in the financial ministry just in 1846 alone, the idea of losing Texas was resisted in Mexico and was an issue which united Mexican opinion against American moves there. In short, the issue of Texas brought unity to Mexico, which was falling apart in domestic, diplomatic and social areas, so the war of words between America and Mexico continued into 1846. Manuel de la Peña, one of Mexico's many presidents during this time, notified the US consul in Mexico, a Mr. John Black, as to the nature of Mexico's quarrel with America on the 15th of October, 1846, when he noted, Although the Mexican nation was gravely offended by the United States due to its actions in Texas belonging to Mexico, the government was willing to receive a commissioner who would arrive in this capital from the United States, possessing full faculties to settle the current dispute in a peaceful, reasonable and respectful way. There was at this point no option to agree to disagree. Mexico recognized Texas as its property, despite its repeated losses there and its virtual evacuation of Texan land, while the US were creeping ever closer to incorporating the young republic into its fold, and they believed they had every right to, owing to Mexico missing the boat there. It should be added as well that Texans had thought of themselves as independent from Mexico since the Treaty of Velasco had been signed with Mexico in 1836, so... For Mexico to still claim authority over Texas nearly 10 years later would have seemed like 
a bit of a bad joke to both the Texans and Americans, even while they realised that the Mexican government was deadly serious. To ensure that the pressure continued on Mexico City, US President Polk remained on friendly terms with Texas, but Mexico itself was another story. The US had broken off diplomatic relations with Mexico as early as March 45, while Mexico tried desperately to prevent the situation escalating out of control, since despite its fighting talk, the last thing Mexico wanted was war with the US. Once Santa Ana had been evicted as president for the second time in late 1845, it was replaced by Jose Herrera and Mexican policy shifted in Texas. Or at least Herrera tried to make it shift. So touchy was the subject of Texas among Mexican authorities that when Herrera suggested recognizing Texan independence in exchange for its promise not to join the United States, he was nearly assassinated. Twice. It was too hard a situation for just one man in Mexico to change, while Herrera recognized how deeply in debt his country was and how badly he needed to resolve its niggling social issues, he was painfully aware at the same time of just how resistant Mexican civilians and statesmen alike were to the idea of recognizing Texan sovereignty. Ever the captain obvious, the United States responded to Herrera's offer by pointing out that it was up to Texas to decide what it wanted to do, and whether that decision involved annexation by the United States or continuing in the status quo, Mexico had no right to intervene and tell it what action to take. Sounds to me like two parents arguing over a child until they ask that child to choose a side. Texas was the party in the centre of the tensions, but the Texans had already made up their mind while all this was going on. Texas President Anson Jones and US President James Polk had come to terms on the incorporation of Texas into the United States. On the 4th of July 1845, a fitting date for such an event, the citizens of Texas voted to join the United States. The ball was now in Mexico's court. Would it fight for the republic that didn't want it, or would it allow such a dishonor to take place? Initially, the American Navy was on high alert, as retaliation from Mexico was fully expected. What happens next gets a bit confusing, especially if you don't know where all this is going on, so to put it in context, let's do a bit of mind mapping. Picture Mexico in your head as a kind of upside-down triangle. Got it? Okay, so now imagine that in the top right corner of that upside-down triangle is a square. Let's call that square Texas. Mexican authorities warned their American counterparts not to move troops into Texas, or else they would move up from their triangle and things would get messy. The American forces led by Zachary Taylor, which in itself is a fantastic first name, were inclined to take the Mexican threats very seriously, as they considered Texas a part of America, because, well, they had voted to join America, but Mexico disagreed. Pretty soon it became clear that a large amount of ambiguity existed when it came to the issue of the Texan borders. The idea of what was and wasn't legit caused both friction and confusion when push came to shove. Instead of just using this wonderful triangle analogy, Americans argued that the border of Texas stretched as far as the Rio Grande, that huge river which lines up almost perfectly with the top of the triangle. In other words, they argued that Texas straddled the American border, but as far as Mexico was concerned, this was false. The border instead stretched as far as the Nueces River, which would have cut that square of Texas roughly in half. This basically meant that Mexico was laying claim to half of Texas, and it viewed any attempts by the United States to justify its actions 
by pointing to the treaties of Velasco had signed with Texas in 1836 with irritation and indignation. These feelings exploded when Mexican forces were sent across the Rio Grande by a newer nationalist government headed by General Mariana Paredes y Arriaga. Their goal was to surprise the American forces that had been sent into the contested border region and what resulted was the Thornton Affair on the 26th of April 1846 in which the 2,000 strong Mexican force routed the smaller American one. When US President Polk received word of the Thornton Affair, he was outraged and delivered a message to Congress on the 11th of May, declaring, Mexico has passed the boundary of the United States, has invaded our territory and shed American blood on American soil. She has proclaimed that hostilities have commenced and that the two nations are now at war. Congress debated on the decision to make war on Mexico, and they eventually voted in favour of hostilities on the 13th of May that year. President Paredes responded with a declaration of war supported by his own Congress on the 7th of July, 46. In 1821, Mexico had achieved its independence, changing the landscape of the American continent, it seemed, forever. But it would be the war with its northern neighbour that would have the most dramatic implications for those living north, south and central of the soon-to-erupt conflict. Neither America nor Mexico would ever be the same, and the world held its breath as the United States took its first steps towards creating the modern American state. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.